Well, good morning, everyone. I am excited to be preaching, you know, two weeks in a row after having two weeks off. So I went back to my old habit, though, of putting way too many notes in there. So it could be, you know, we're just, we're just going to get into it. And then I'm going to do this awkward transition right now. So, you know, like, good morning, excited to be here. And has anyone noticed how obsessed our culture is with evil? You know, you know, happy, nice, good morning, and then evil, um, you know, good transition. It's something that I've realized more and more, and I thought maybe it was just me becoming more aware of it, but as I dove into some data preparing for this sermon, I, I realized that our culture has actually increasingly become obsessed with this idea of evil. Uh, there was some data that I found that actually showed that the film's most likely to be profitable. So out of all genres of films, the films that are most likely to be profitable aren't comedies, they're not dramas, they're, they're not even action movies, they're horror movies. These are the films that are most likely to turn a profit in our culture today. For some reason, our world loves to see people get hacked up, hunted down, and, and terrorized. And frankly, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. Uh, but something that's become an interesting phenomenon over the last several years that I've noticed as well is it's not just fake evil that we seem to be drawn to. It used to be that we, we like this fake evil, but the idea of true crime consumption ha has become off the charts. We, we love it in podcasts and movies and TV shows, and you can just like click next, 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 next on, on Netflix as you're watching these things. And, and for some reason, this intrigues us. Evil intrigues us for some reason. Uh, one interesting thing I found is from the American Academy of Family Practitioners. So these are your family doctors, you know, the one that you go to when you got the sore throat or you got the Rona or, or something else. You're going to your family practitioner and they're going to, to make you better. But what was really interesting is I found the Academy of Family Practitioners to, to be talking about this idea of violence in, in media and consumption and what it is we're actually putting together. And they're seeing this as so prevalent that they're recommending doctors who aren't psychiatrists, who aren't uh, um, psychologists, to talk to their patients about the media that they're consuming. Because what they found through multiple studies is that there has been a strong association between exposure to violence in media and actually acting out upon that, or at least being overwhelmed by the thoughts of evil and violence. And that's a crazy thing to think about, that your family practitioner, the association of family practitioners, are telling all the doctors, like, hey, you need to talk with your patients about this. We're in this public health crisis because of the type of content that we end up consuming. And as we talked a little last week, what we consume is a seed that's always growing and forming us. What comes into us eventually comes out to us out of us. And so as we consume these things, it changes who we are on the inside. And I think to our detriment, our society has become hyper-interested in this form of media. C.S. Lewis, love him, in his introduction to the Screwtape Letters, which if you're not familiar with it, it's a collection of fictional letters where an elder demon is writing to a younger demon on how to tempt and attack mankind. And he says this in his introduction to this fictional work. He, he says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. I think our society currently definitely falls into the latter of that, is that we have this obsession over evil. We want to consume it. For some reason, we want to be scared senseless. We, we're like, yeah, I know this is terrible. I can't even watch the commercials of them. Like, I'm like, I'm like blocking the TV, like plugging my ears, doing all that, and I, I can't even watch that. And I still have flashbacks to like the, the horror movies I saw as a kid growing up. Like they still affect me to this day. Like I still think about it. I'm still scared of the dark. I'm like, I'm like checking in behind the closet. I'm like looking behind the, the shower curtain, make sure there's no one there because these things have like formed me a little bit. They've done something in me. Even though I haven't consumed any of it in, well, 15 plus years, there's something that has changed inside of me that's affected me a little bit. And my goal today isn't to, to rail on uh, evil media. It wasn't, it was kind of a happen chance that this happened right before Halloween as well. So don't take anything to what we're doing. We're going through the gospel of Mark and this happened to be where we landed. So, you know, take it up with Jesus and not, not with me. All right. All right. You can send all hate mail to Jesus. Just, just pray and, you know, he'll, he'll handle it. But what I want us to do this morning is I want us to, to realize that while our culture is obsessed with consuming this evil type media, the, the Bible actually provides a, a little bit different of a response. See, the, the Bible provides us, I don't know what I'm talking about this morning, words are supposed to be coming out, but they're getting all jumbled on the way out. All right. The Bible provides us with a middle way. It provides us with this middle way that acknowledges the existence of evil. It acknowledges the existence of the demonic realm. It acknowledges the existence of gross violence. But it also provides us with knowledge and hope that we have nothing to fear because God is bringing about a new creation where evil will cease to exist. And that's all the difference, where our culture is obsessed with this idea of horror and evil and all these gross and terrible things that can happen. The Bible's like, yes, those things do happen. Yes, there is real evil. Yes, there is all these terrible things that's happening. But let me show you Jesus, the one who has come to take away all the sins of the earth, to make things new. There's a, a drastic shift that happens there. It's not consuming things for the sake of consumption. It's saying, yes, these things exist. Yes, there's evil in our world. Yes, there's demonic activity in our world. But let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. Because what I want us to take away this morning is this. The dominion of King Jesus is far superior to the dominion of darkness. The dominion of our king who sits on the throne, who is that great high priest, is far superior to the dominion of darkness. Because while there may be this current dominion of darkness, it is fleeting. It is passing away. Because the old is going away and the new is coming into fruition. Let's go ahead and read our scripture this morning. We're going to be Mark chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 20. It says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The, this man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. Sorry, I couldn't resist. It was, it was just going to happen. I don't know that that happened. It probably didn't, but in my head, that's what happened. Anyway, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened and the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had great mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all people were amazed. This is the word of the Lord. As I, as I read this, as I dive into this, I can't help but think that this has all the hallmarks of a modern horror movie. Like, it has all the hallmarks of this modern horror film. Graveyard? Check. We got random guys coming into an unknown place after almost dying on the journey on a boat? Check. Then we got creepy dude with superhuman strength that says his name is Legion and likes to cut himself. Like, this is straight up the plot of a horror movie. Like, we got everything here that, that needs to be there in order to have this horror movie to scare ourselves senseless. And yet, the outcome of this story is entirely different than what we would expect to see in a film like that. Something different happens here where we have this evil, we have this difficult situation, we have something that's a bit scary, but yet something different happens because Jesus is the one on the scene. Those people that arrive that almost die on the storm going over, they're not just any travelers, they're Jesus and his disciples who are going after this one man to bring him freedom. That's something that has changed, that is radical, that's happening here. So let me give us a, a little bit of background to this story so that we can better understand what's at play. We've already talked about how Jesus and the disciples had just uh, faced this terrifying storm. But during that terrifying storm, I want to remind us back to what actually happened at the end. Jesus calms the storm and the disciples are left there sitting saying, who is this? 
Who is this that speaks and calms the storm? Who is this Jesus? They're asking this question, and what we see here is the answer to that. We see that this Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, and this is the demonic realm proclaiming this to the disciples. The disciples are like, who is this guy? And the, the demons are like, no, this isn't just a guy. This is the Son of the Most High God. What's also interesting about this particular story is where it takes place. Because this doesn't take place in geographic Israel. It actually takes place in a Gentile city, among a majority Gentile people. Which is very interesting if we know anything about Jesus' ministry, is he makes it a point that his ministry is for the people of Israel. And yet, what we see here is that Jesus purposely crosses the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a big lake. He crosses this Sea of Galilee, Lake of Galilee, crosses this body of water to go over and land just happens next to this dude that you don't want to encounter at all? Like, this is Jesus purposely going across this body of water so that he can calm the storm, so his disciples can say, who is this, and that he can set the captives free of all lands. He's revealing that he's not just the Messiah of Israel, but he's the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. He's showing who he is here. Now let's talk about demons in the first century for just a moment. I want us to get too modern and just to think about it from our perspective. I want to talk about what first century people would believe regarding demons. Well, first of all, graveyards, you know, while they're creepy to us, they were considered a place of heightened demonic activity for the first century person. They would have believed that this is where the demons reside. Like, if I go into a graveyard, I know that there's going to be demonic activity, especially if I'm in there at night. And we have this dude who's there in night among the graveyard, living amongst the tombs. Like, there's no, yep, yeah, he's got a legion of demons. It makes sense to the first century person. What's also interesting is that people would often bring offerings to graveyards. They would bring offerings to graveyards because they associated the demons with gods in pagan religions. They would come and worship in the graveyard, bringing offerings. And what's more interesting about this is that the most impressive form of worship to these deities isn't this offering that they're bringing, but it's self-mutilation. It's self-harm. It's cutting themselves. It was seen as the pinnacle of worship to demons or their gods at this time. And so, so what do we have in this story? We got a dude that's living among the tombs day and night. So like he's probably there worshiping. He's probably been there because he wants to be there, not because he was forced to be there. He's wanted to be there. And as he spends more time there, as he begins worshiping more and more, he begins self-harming himself as that pinnacle form of worship and is overtaken by the demonic activity. A legion of soldiers is anywhere from 5,400 to about 6,000, depending on what you look at. That's a lot of demons in a dude. Like there has been something that has happened in him. And so this dude that we're encountering isn't the type of dude that you want to come across after you've had a difficult journey across the lake. 
He's not the guy that you want to be coming across. And yet, for some reason, Jesus seems to be seeking this man out. It's not an accident that Jesus lands where this man is. It's not an accident that he comes directly to him, and it seems like this is the only reason that he's crossed the lake. I want to read verses 6 through 8 again. When the man saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the reason that I want us to read that again is I want us to, to recognize that as we actually look at the text, verse 8 seems to come before verse 6 and 7. That Jesus has already talked to the man. As soon as Jesus sees the man, he tells the demons to leave. Jesus is expecting this man. He's looking for him. As soon as he sees him, he tells the demons to leave. And the demons, recognizing the authority of Jesus, they make the man bow before him and proclaim that he is the son of the most high God. Answering the disciples' question, who is this that calms the storm? See, there's a battle that's raging at this moment. And the demons, they're, they're not giving up easily. There, there's a lot of them here. They, they have strength in numbers, and it's over and over again. They don't leave the first time that Jesus tells them to leave. They don't leave the second time or even the third time. It says that they, they argue with him again and again. But eventually, eventually they bow to King Jesus. And I want us to, to understand that it's important for us to realize that a spiritual battle is raging all around us. I know that's not popular to think in our, our day and age. I, I don't want to also get over-spiritual and call everything spiritual warfare. That's, that's one end of the spectrum that we can get to. If everything's spiritual warfare, man, that devil, he put a nail in my tire. Well, maybe you just drove through a construction zone. Man, the devil, he made me late. No, maybe you just need to set your alarm a little earlier. Not everything is spiritual warfare, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, I don't want us to get so modern and so posh that we're like, oh, there is no demonic forces that are active in our world today. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle that is raging around us. And to believe in Jesus, I want to just let us in on this little secret. If we believe that Jesus is God, if we believe there is a God, then we must also believe that the devil is real and that there are demons that follow him. We can't believe one without the other. If we believe that there is Jesus, if we believe that the Bible is the word of God, if we believe that this is true, then we also must believe that there is a battle raging around us that is full of demonic activity. See, what we know about Satan's kingdom, we know that it's a, a small kingdom, although it sometimes terrifies us, sometimes we give it too much credit. We know that Satan's kingdom is about killing, about stealing, about destroying. That's what Satan can do. He can kill, steal, and destroy. And yet what we're told throughout Scripture is that we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid because the God that is in us is greater than the God that is in the world. Because the God that's in us is the capital G God. It is Jesus himself. It is the creator of the universe. It's the triune God who exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And the God that's in this world isn't even a God. He's a created being who rebelled against the God and convinced some people to go with him. 
the God that is in us, the God that has saved us, is so much bigger, so much more abundant, so much greater than what we see in the world around us. This Jesus is something special. And what we see in this story is we don't see a story that ends with a confrontation between equally matched good and evil. That's not the, the world in which we live in. We don't have this battle of good and evil that are, that are dualistic. They're not equal in any way because the good that exists in God far surpasses the evil that exists in the world and through those who have rebelled against God. So we don't see that here in this story. We see evil bowing to the supremacy of the Son of God and fleeing while causing as much destruction as it possibly can in the meantime. That's what we see, and this is a foretaste of what is to come. While right now there's a battle where, where evil's trying as good as it can to, 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 to maintain its territory, to maintain its place, to, to maintain its spot in the battle, there's coming a day where it ceases to exist. There's coming a day where every captive is set free. Where every captive is set free. And I want us to, to experience some things that are in this text. Because I, I don't want us to leave without this understanding of what Jesus is doing here. Because Jesus travels in a violent storm. He travels in a violent storm away from the people of Israel, away from the, the apple of his eye to a Gentile land, seemingly to free this one man. Because as soon as he frees this man, he's driven out of the town. And it's not like he's driven, they ask him to leave. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll go back. He doesn't say, well, I wanted to do so much more because of your unbelief, I can't do anything. He's just like, okay, that's fine, I'll head back. What seems to be happening is Jesus coming to set this one man free. To set this man who is the epitome of an outcast free. Like, dude is straight up scary, and Jesus is going to him to set him free. And what, is, what I want us to see here is that the grace of God shows no favoritism. The grace of God shows no favoritism. It is available to all, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you've been through, God's grace is for you. There's nothing that you've done that is too bad for God or that is too evil for God. He wants to encounter you. He wants to show his grace to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. Jesus went in search of this Gentile man, revealing that he truly is the Messiah, the Savior of the entire world. And what I love about this story is that Jesus doesn't just save the man. He doesn't just set him free, but he actually commissions him to be an evangelist. He commissions him to be a herald of the good news. He says, okay, you're free. You're, you are clear in your mind. You are now clothed because apparently that wasn't happening before. You're no longer cutting yourself. Like you're in your right mind. You're sitting here. And the man's like, I just want to follow you, Jesus. Let me come with you. You've changed my life. He's like, okay, I've changed your life. Now go tell people what I've done. Go tell people what the Lord has done for you. Jesus doesn't just set him free. He gives him a mission to embark on. 
kingdom of darkness has nothing on the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God sees what we've done in our past. And it shows us grace, shows us mercy. And Jesus builds us up and he places us in a new place. He, he restores us and makes us whole. And then he sends us out on mission. He gives us a task to do. He gives us a mission to go on. What we see in this story is in one interaction, Jesus transforms the gnarliest dude imaginable. The gnarliest dude imaginable into this, into this evangelist. Jesus takes someone from death into life. From darkness into light. Can evil do that in one encounter? No. Jesus has done something incredible here. He changed the man's life and put him on mission so that anywhere he went, he could proclaim the good news of a God who saw him despite what was inside of him, despite what he was going through, despite what he had already been through, despite him living among the tombs, despite him being defiled, despite him being unclean, saw through all of that and said, you I want to make new. This is what Jesus does. He looks past our sin. He looks past our, our grime. He looks past everything that is ugly in our lives. And he says, I don't care about all that. Here's my life. He says, I see all of that, but do you see me? Look at what I've done. I know what you've been through. I know you think it's too far gone. I know you think it's too difficult, but look at what I've done. I've given myself. I've poured out my blood. I've stood there for your sin. This is the Jesus that we see in Scripture, the one who encounters us, the one who chases after us, the one who makes us new. There are a few things that I want us to, to take away from this passage today. Number one is this, evil is contrary to God's good design. Evil is contrary to God's good design. It's not something that should entertain us. It's not something that we should be fascinated with. It's not something that we should be like, oh, there's so much evil in the world. I wonder why this happened. Evil is something that should honestly frustrate us a little bit. As, as Christians, as people of God, we should get a little frustrated that the devil gets all this credit. That he causes all this destruction. When, when I think about drug addiction, when I think about homelessness, when I, when I think about murder, when I think about genocide, when I think about all these difficult things that are going on in the world, I, I, I get frustrated that the devil continues to have dominion. Evil is not part of God's good design. It's not part of God's good design. Number two is this. Jesus is the Son of God, and not even the gravest of situations can stand in his way. See, we just talked about how evil not being in God's good design. Well, the good news is it's not in God's good design, but God has made a way to deal with it. He doesn't just say, oh no, the world is, is going to hell. The world has all these problems. He says, I see the problems. I see the difficulty. I see the struggles, and I'm going to step in and do something about it. Jesus is the one who can make even the gravest situations turn around. And what this means for us is that in every situation, 
No matter what we see, no matter what we witness in the world around us, we must pray and honestly believe, earnestly believe that God can break through. Believe that God can break through. We must have faith that God is greater than the present evil we see in the world. This is something that must take hold of our hearts. It must take hold of our minds. We can't be constantly just overwhelmed by what we observe in the world. Instead, we must see what we observe, note that it is evil, note that it's difficult, note that it has problems, and says, but I know a God who can do something about it. I know a God who can break through and make all things new. And here, here's, here's something I want us to get. Here's something that I want us to get. Jesus triumphs in the end. Jesus triumphs in the end. Even if evil temporarily wins a battle today, even if we, we pray and don't see the result that we want to, we can hold on to the hope that Jesus will come back to make all things new. He will come back to make all things new. And this is the hope that we have in the face of an evil day in which we live that Jesus is coming back and all things will be made new. Number three is this. God pursues us, saves us from death, and places us on mission. He saves us from sin and saves us for mission. It's not just a, a from that Jesus does. It's for something as well. He doesn't just take away our sins and be like, okay, go on with your merry life and do, do whatever you want. He saves us for his mission. He says, go and tell everyone what God has done for you. Go and tell them what the Lord has done for you. As we look at the story of all people, of all the people imaginable, why this man? Why this man? He was surely messed up. Surely he was beyond saving. This is probably what people would have thought of. But yet Jesus pursues him. He pursues the worst of the worst. The worst possible person imaginable at the time. And Jesus not only saves them, but places them on mission. Listen, listen to me. I want us to, to get this. Your past does not disqualify you from ministry. Your past does not disqualify you from ministry. Instead, it's the very thing that fuels your ministry. What we've been through, what we've gone through, is the fuel that God uses to reach others. Because my story of difficulty is going to be different than your story of difficulty. You've gone through things that I haven't gone through. But yet as we, we share our stories of what God has done in our lives, it's going to speak to people differently. What your story tells someone that God can do may be different than what my story tells someone that God can do. And maybe that's what resonates, them, resonates with them above my story. But in the end, what remains is that God is saving the world. That he's provided this great grace if we will just surrender to him. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're in a place where you just feel like you can't be used by God. Maybe you're frustrated and distraught by the, the evil you see in the world and you're thinking things like, how could a good God allow this to happen? Maybe you're deep in the pit and consumed by evil thoughts. You're drawn to these things. I, I don't know where you're at this morning. 
But what I do know is this. I do know that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. I know that he came to provide freedom to all those who are in bondage. I know that he's given his life to save us from the dominion of darkness. I know that he's come to provide a ransom, an atonement for us, and that soon he will come to make all things new. And I know that whatever you've been through, no matter what it is, no matter how big it may seem to you, no matter how disqualifying it may seem to you, I know that it's not enough to separate you from the love of God. It's not enough to separate you from the love of God. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You cannot out-evil God's grace. If you turn to him, you repent. He is faithful. He is just to meet us in that place and restore us. He's told us that he will do it. I want to let you in on a secret about the Bible. Sometimes we can think the Bible is full of people that got it all together. But the Bible is a book full of misfit sinners who constantly do the wrong thing, who constantly go the wrong way, whose lives are full of junk, and yet God uses them to bring him glory. God works despite their past, despite what they've been through, despite what's inside of them. He forgives them, he loves them, he restores them, and he places them on mission. And what I want us to remember this morning is no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where we find ourselves in this journey, God is inviting us to trust more in him. We live in the midst of an evil world. There are things that are at play. There are demonic forces that are at play. There's a spiritual battle that's raging around us. And it can be easy to lose hope inside of that. But what I want us to get this morning is that if we will trust in Jesus, Does it make all those things disappear immediately? No, but it gives us a hope that one day everything will be made right. That one day Jesus will return and that he will make all things new. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, that he is coming back. That if we have faith in him, if we place our trust in him, then we will be with him forever. We'll be with him forever in paradise where there's no more crying, where there's no more tears, where there's no more pain, where there's no more hurt, where there's no more heartbreak, but where everything is made new, where it's God's good design as he intended it with us enjoying him forever and him enjoying us forever. Let's pray. God, we are thankful. God, we are so thankful that you pursue us. God, that you chase after us, that, that through your grace you, you, you come to encounter us. And we don't deserve relationship with you. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your mercy. And yet you give it to us anyway. God, I pray this morning that you would instill in us a hope that cannot be shaken. That even as we look around and see evil in the world around us, that we would maintain a hope that you hold all things together and that you are making all things new. God, I pray that you would help us to live that house. That you would place us on mission, God. 
that you would reveal to us more and more that you have ransomed us, that you have redeemed us, and that you are placing us as ministers of reconciliation amongst a world that desperately needs you. In the midst of a world that's currently ruled by the dominion of darkness, you have placed us as ministers of the light. Help us to live a life that's pleasing to you, God. We love you. We praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.